When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Broadcasting from the Annie Up Studios, it's the longest-running poker podcast for the everyday poker player, with your host, Joe Scales. Hello, A-Team. It's Friday, June 9th. I'm excited about this week's show, even though there won't be a call the floor this week, because Elliot is exactly where we all want to be on vacation. We have a guest joining me on Table Talk, though, to go over the grand opening of Lauberge's new attraction, and I have a new take on the Where Are They Now series. I'm sure you all remember the hand where David Fishman, a teacher from Arizona, played a big hand against Phil Helmuth on Poker Stars The Big Game. He's on the show with me this week to go over that hand and talk about where he is 13 years later. In case you haven't seen it already, the June issue of the Annie Up Magazine is out. You can find it at AnnieUpMagazine.com and click on Magazines. While you're there, sign up to have it delivered to you each month in your email. That's all I really have this week, so let's get on with the show. Find out what conversations are happening around the poker table with Table Talk. I am here with Mike Bender for today's Table Talk. We've got uh, a grand opening coming in for you, right? That's right. <laughs> Louis, tomorrow, big day. Big day, yeah. Uh, we were just saying, I, they're always, they're a lot of work, but they're always so much fun, right? 100%. Uh, oh, yeah, we, we've been uh, trying to open this venue for a couple of years. Obviously, COVID, uh, you know, put some, I would say, some qualms on live entertainment. And so, in the Baton Rouge area, this is something that was a huge popular venue prior, and it was closed for several years. We put a couple million dollars in it, so we're really excited to uh, finally review it tomorrow. Nice. So tell me a little bit about it, because uh, it's Edge Social Music Lounge, right? So tell me, tell me what exactly that means and what you guys plan on moving forward. Yeah, no, 100%. So... You know, Baton Rouge is an awesome city. So I've been here uh, about six months here in Louisiana. And, you know, for us, there's no shortage of bars. I'll tell you that. We're college <laughs> town. We got LSU right down the road, right? But in general, um, there's not a lot of lounges. And and live music, there's a couple of venues for that. But the casino here um, at La Berge Baton Rouge is one of the biggest places for live music. So we do have an event center. It's about 1,500 people. Um, we have huge acts there, every genre of music, stand-up comedy, all that good stuff. But this this Edge Social Music Lounge, it's a different type of feel. And I've worked at casinos across the country. This is my eighth property. Um, but there hasn't been a venue quite like this at anywhere else I've worked at. So we're having live music every Friday and Saturday. A lot of local bands. We're featuring uh, a lot of people from Baton Rouge itself, uh, but also New Orleans, which is not far, maybe about an hour down the road. And right. my favorite genre, stand-up comedy, uh, we're actually going to have <laughs> the Bonkers Comedy Productions team every single Thursday. They're sending us different comedians from across the country um, that we're going to feature. So uh, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays at this new venue, we spent just under $3 million in the venue. It's going to have all the best fixtures. Um, you know, it's kind of got that prohibition era type feel, you know, dim lighting, it's a really, really unique spot. So we know that people really of all ages are going to enjoy coming out here. We're excited to open it tomorrow. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that it's not just one or the other. A lot of places will have music or they'll have comedy, and I love that you're using it for both. And that fits with my wife and I because she would go for the music and and I would go for the comedy. So it's, it's great. Absolutely. And I haven't been there yet, and I want to emphasize yet. <laughs> because um yeah the the place sounds phenomenal it's 
the sheet that that was sent out it said something like 500 over 500 acres so tell me a little bit about what you guys use all of that area for i know that you you know with fourth of july coming up i think that was something that was mentioned that you guys do and uh so so tell me some some of the things that you guys have oh 100 so let me tell you this is just a gorgeous property and so it's located right on the mississippi river i mean we literally have our executive offices um our, our conference room that looks at all the boats that are going back and forth all day, every day. So it is just a gorgeous location. And we're in the suburbs of Baton Rouge. So real easy to kind of get in, get out of the property itself in terms of the parking lot. And there is a lot of space. I mean, we have um, a hotel with just over 200 rooms. It's a four diamond hotel, really nice room product for all the gamblers that come out here and stay with us. And also the retail guests that are just kind of coming through. Maybe they don't play in the casino, but uh, they're looking for a really nice place to stay. Um, you mentioned 4th of July, so we're one of the largest fireworks shows in all of Southern Louisiana. And so we put it on ourselves. Uh, we have some really cool VIP viewing areas. One of them, which is probably where I'm gonna be uh, when it hits nine o'clock when the show starts, is our rooftop pool. So on yes. the top of our 12-story hotel, we've got a pool right up there with cabanas and all that good stuff. And uh, we're gonna be shooting off a lot of fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> Now, in addition to that, man, I mean, we do um, outdoor concerts can fit, you know, upwards of 3000 people outside on our lawn. <clears throat> One of the things that is really neat, too, is some of that land we actually uh, recently um, sold to uh, another partner um, and it's called Tiger's Trail RV Park. And it is going to be the nicest RV park in all of Louisiana. So they have oh, a that's awesome. river, they have um, little cottages that you can actually get in addition to your RV spot. Um, they have pickleball, which I know everybody's playing these days, <laughs> located right across the street. Um, and it's going to open here later this summer as well. So, I mean, in terms of the property, you know, we have every amenity you can think of when it comes to a Vegas casino. And then when you add in some of these other, you know, surrounding elements with LSU, you know, Tiger's Trail RV Park, it's a really cool location. Absolutely. And you mentioned, uh, well, first of all, the rooftop pool, that's awesome. So I definitely want to check that out too. Uh, and, and it gets hot <laughs> there. So that's good. <laughs> it's about 95 right now. Um, yeah, I, I was, I was telling Joe a little bit earlier, you know, when you walk from that car to uh, the casino, you start sweating. So yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna be wearing that suit out at the pool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the rooftop pool, all of the, the shows that you'll have, and then in the other times, you can be in the casino gambling. What's the atmosphere there? Is it, I mean, you've got a poker room. So how many tables do you have in the poker room? So we, we have six poker tables here at the casino. And at least in Baton Rouge, we're the, the only destination for live poker. And so we take a lot of pride in that. Um, our poker tables are going six days a week. And we offer, you know, what I would call pretty aggressive limits. So we do go all the way up to like a 5-10 PLO game that's pretty consistent. But we offer no limit. We have 1-3. We have 2-5 no limit, 2, as well as 4-8-12 hold'em. So, you know, a little bit for everybody in terms of, you know, a little bit of a higher-end player as well as someone who's a little bit more recreational playing for fun. Um, and in terms of poker, you know, one of the things that we have going on actually this weekend, it's really neat. So it's going to be happening on Saturday, June 10th. Is we're giving away four spots to the main event um, at the World Series of Poker this summer. Uh, that's going to be happening early July, and so the way that our player has been earning a spot into what we're calling freeze-out tournaments is just by logging hours. So we had several dozen players that are going to be getting in there just by giving us some action on those tables during the month of May into June, and then we're going to be drawing four names. Uh, as some wild card entries into these freeze outs uh, the day of the tournament. So that's this coming Saturday, June 10th. So we're really excited to send four people to Las Vegas. Uh, we're going to give them $1,000 in uh, accommodations and, and anything else they want to use for food or whatnot when they go out there. Uh, but yeah, we hope that uh, one of these people take it down at, at uh, uh, the new horseshoe in, in Paris where they're doing the event. How awesome would that be to have somebody that, that wins it from your casino and, and takes down the whole thing? That would be incredible. It's, absolutely, man. We're rooting for him. I, I'm going to try to get yeah. a Bears uh, logoed shirts or whatnot. We'll see if they'll wear them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, 
I think this is all great stuff, and the festivities start tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, tomorrow is June 9th. Um, so we're going to have a little bit of like a VIP element where we're having some of our, our top uh, gamblers at the casino, a lot of the community leaders, people from um, you know some of our surrounding partners and sponsors are going to be coming out starting at 7 o'clock. We're opening this Edge venue. Um, and then at 9 o'clock, we're actually opening this Edge social music lounge to the public. Don't need to buy nice. a ticket. It's actually completely free. And um, we're having a Bruno Mars tribute band. So we wanted something kind of high energy, fun uh, to go with the opening of a place like this. And so uh, 24 Karat Magic, they're one of the, I would call them the number one Bruno Mars tribute. In fact, the guy who's uh, the face of the group, I think he's Bruno's twin. Sounds <laughs> 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 uh, just like him, looks just like him. So they're going to be performing for both uh, our, our VIP guests that were coming a little bit earlier, as well as anybody uh, from Louisiana that wants to attend starting at nine o'clock. That's fun. So technically, it's gonna. By the time everybody hears this, it'll be tonight because this will come out tomorrow. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, so technically Friday tonight will be the grand opening. And you say after after nine o'clock, everybody can get in. Everybody can get in. And let me tell you, we're not stopping uh, anytime close to nine. So this venue is <laughs> open late at least till two a.m. So if anybody's in southern Louisiana, definitely come out. Uh, you know, party with us. After uh, Bruno uh, tribute is, is over, 24 Karat Magic, we're going to have a DJ doing some action. So uh, keep that energy going for sure. I appreciate you being on here and talking about this. This People talk about, you know, COVID, you know, and, and how it, it changed the landscape of casinos and, and everything. It's been really exciting to see the casinos growing again and seeing poker tournaments and poker rooms thriving and so congratulations on that and uh, i can't wait to see the property for myself oh i appreciate it joe you know let me tell you it was really important to us to bring live poker back um, not only did we have demand but i know that a lot of places across the country you know when COVID happened and it was super difficult to get people in those close spaces they decided not to bring their rooms back and it was really important yeah. to us to have that offering, it's such a community game, um, and you know, at the end of the day, we wanted to make sure we provided that that amenity to our guests. And so, um, not only do we have that World Series of Poker promo going on this weekend, where we're giving those four spots, but we've had some of the biggest bad beats that I've seen across the country actually hit at our property in the last three months. So, um, one of them, uh, I just happened to be walking by the poker room, uh, <laughs> was approximately four hundred thousand dollars. Was the bad beat that we paid out straight flush over quads uh, it'll be going for a couple of years you know we had that bad beat going for a couple of years no one had hit it uh, and it hit for about 400 grand i believe wow around like the february 2023 time frame so i uh, had a couple great guests we got some pictures with them for our social media uh, but you know having some of those life-changing jackpots too in our room has been really cool yeah, that's awesome. I love to see that too. It's the only time you you want to see a bad beat, right? <laughs> I, tell you, I was playing myself at Aria, and I had pocket aces, and I flopped, or I, I ended up turning quad aces, and I lost the hand to a gut shot straight flush, but no bad beat there. So, oh no, we've had a bad beat here at LaBerge for quite a while, and ironically, after it hit for that, you know, we'll call it about a four hundred thousand number, it hit again maybe two or three weeks later uh, for another six <laughs> payoff. So. Uh, yeah, people have been losing some tough hands, but they've been making some money with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're going to lose it, then then at least try to make some money with it. It's, that's awesome. Mike, again, I really appreciate you being on here and uh, talking about Edge Social Music Lounge. I appreciate it. I appreciate you giving us a, a platform to, to talk about that venue and, and talk about LaBerge as well. It's a beautiful casino. Hopefully some of uh, uh, your listeners and your readers will, will stop by and check us out. Absolutely. And, and uh, I will be there for sure at some point. So keep a, keep a table open for me. You got it, man. We'll take you to an LSU tailgate too. Yes. That's a big football fan, so you got to stop by one of those for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Mike. We'll, we'll talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Joe. Let's break it down with Hand of the Week. We are back with another Hand of the Week with Patrick. Hey, Patrick, how's it going? 
Joe, I am good. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. We're going to play a tournament this week. What do you think? Bring it on. <laughs> Today, we've got a hand of the week that's sent in by Tyler Bailey. All right. And you said and he's playing a tournament? They're playing a tournament. Yeah. We are at the blind structures where it's 2,000, 4,000 with a 4,000 big blind ante. Yep. We're going to be on the button. It's a good spot to be. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And we've got about 270,000 chips. So oh. we, we're, we're doing well. I, I would say so. Uh, we're eight-handed. Under the gun raises to 10,000. Oh. Middle position goes all in for the rest of... Of his 8,000, so he calls for less, basically. Yeah. It folds around to you, and you have the Queen of Clubs, Jack of Diamonds. Queen of Clubs, Jack of Diamonds. Queen, excuse me, Queen Jack offsuits. Um, all right, so all in with 8,000. That's desperation there. Um, as I'm learning... Through this, uh, through this journey that you and I are going on, Joe, I might actually, I mean, even though it's all suit, I might actually push that a little bit more. Is that crazy? Oh, hey, crazy? I, I like it. I like it. I want to be in control being on the button. So I'm going to go, so 20. All right. So you're bumping it up even more, which I like a lot. Uh, but in this case, Tyler decided to call the 10,000. He's on the button and yeah. is getting a good price, he says. So Fair he enough. says, I have a healthy big stack in position, which is very yeah. true. And, yeah, and I think that to your point, you know, you do have a big stack. It's time to start playing uh, table captain and, and trying to push the action. So I, I like where you're coming from. He says, the small blind looks like a good tight reg without having played too much with him, and he completes the 10K as well. Okay. A big blind also calls. So this is where the problem is with, with just calling, right? Now we've got so yeah. many people in this hand. Uh, so that's why I think, I think the raise is much better there. Okay. So now there's 48,000 in the pot and the flop comes the seven of diamonds, eight of spades, jack of hearts. It checks all the way around to us. What are you going to do? All right. If I was playing my hands, I'm, I'm betting, I, again, I'm pushing the limit. I don't know to what extent though, but playing his, I mean – He's still betting. I mean, he paired top pair. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm thinking I'm probably going 20. Why would you go – Push it a little bit. Why would you go so small after a bet so big? I mean, if I was playing – I mean, if I was playing Tyler's hand. Let me rephrase. If I'm playing my hand and I've already pushed it. Right. But as it stands now, the the bet was originally – the bet was originally 10. There's 48,000 uh, – in the pot. So I feel like yeah, you said what 48 in top pair. I'm probably going double that, not six. I'm probably going 12. Yeah. Which would be like one four pot. Yeah. That's, that's probably uh, better. I would probably, I would probably that's bump it up bet. to yeah. like half the pot or something like that. If I wanted to bet Tyler bet 33,000. Okay. He, he was on the right page. I was doing numbers wrong in my head. Good job. That, that's, a good, that's a good move. Only the small blind calls. Okay. So everybody else folded, which brings us to 114,000 in the pot. We go to the turn, which comes another jack. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so you've got trips, and the small blind checks to us. Yeah, we're pushing it again. So 114, I mean, I'm probably going 70. 
65 to 70, something like that. That would double up Tyler's last bet. Um, I mean, I've got we've got the trips now. Even if he's got the trips on seven or eight, obviously we've got the top one. Um, I mean, the only thing that I'm thinking here is, you know, if he happens to be holding nine ten, you know, yeah. there's the straight, but we're still good there. I mean, I, I'm pushing it hard. What did um? What are your so? Thoughts? We've got Queen Jack, right? King Jack. Yeah, but there's no queen on the right. Board. King Jack. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ace you're Jack. Right. You're right. Um, those can beat you. The straight, like you said, those point. that can beat you. So I don't know that as played, I don't know that I'm that worried about uh, Ace Jack. King Jack's probably a thought, but he may push back at us if we bet. So I don't have a problem with, with putting the bet out there. But Tyler says after sizing up his stack – to around 160 left behind him, I put him all in. Okay. Wow. And he says, the small blind thinks about it a little bit, and he calls, showing me King Jack offsuit. Ouch. See, Joe, hold on a second. This is where I go. I push the envelope, <laughs> push the envelope. What am I doing? I'm walking away with that guy in the small blind taking a three-quarter chunk out of my chips. All right, now let's proceed with that. Um, if a queen comes out, we improve, but that's really about the only thing we can hope for here. That's about it. Um, yeah. But uh, he does not improve on the river, and we're left with about 65000 behind. So we went from two seventy to sixty five. Which is rough. And Tyler says, I had mostly put him on a hand like Jack 10 or Jack 9. Having the pair and the straight draw, maybe Jack 6 suited. But And he says that earlier in the night he had tried to bluff the small blind. And so maybe he was a non-believer. Uh... I definitely think it makes sense for him to have King Jack there. I don't think, like I said, I don't. I wouldn't have been worried about Ace Jack. But he says, fun fact, middle position had pocket aces. <laughs> wow. And he folded on a seven of diamond, eight of spade, jack of hearts board. He folded pocket aces. Why? I don't know. That's, that makes that sense. makes zero sense. Let's let's go back to this. So, if I remember correctly, it checked after the flop. It checked around to us. Is that right? Yeah. No, no, no. Excuse me. After the yeah, it did. Yeah. Wow. So he's sitting on king king jack at that point, and then trips with the king after that, and he checked it again. Well, I mean. I don't know. I don't make them on that. Again, we don't have the background. I mean, we talked about it a little bit last week, and we don't have a little. Bit, we don't have the background on how he's played, but that doesn't necessarily make all the difference. But I mean, that's um. I guess you tip your tap, cap to him, and then try to build it back up. Yeah, I, I think the only the thing that keeps ringing in my ears right now is when I'm talking to Mark Bremmett in the um, coach's corner. Then he's always talking about how do you lose less? I guess the question with this one is how can we lose less? And I don't know. I mean, is there any way, is there any way of us checking back the turn? I really don't think so. No, I don't. I mean, I guess the only way, the only way to lose less in that instance, at least that I think is don't stack them up. But then the river is going to come, whatever it came. It didn't help us, but we still haven't made him on King Jack. Yeah. So even if he checks up to us, we're betting then too. So we're probably losing the same amount. A couple of thoughts. I, I don't know that betting two-thirds the pot with five ways on the flop is necessary. I probably would have went more than you, but less than him. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, it's still. I think we still end up in the same place. 
but also on the button, Queen Jack offsuit. It's not a bad hand. Well, if we, the only thought that I have when you just said that is if if we, you know, play Monday morning quarterback here, but I don't think. Let me put it this way: I don't think, at least coming from you know the novice standpoint, that we do this. I don't think Tyler played that bad. I really don't. I mean, it's a tough beat, but I don't think he played it bad. No, I don't think he played it bad. I, I think that a lot of people. I feel. I can feel. I can feel the emails coming already. People are going to say that we should fold that pre-flop, <laughs> but I really. I, I, Jack in that I really think that because we're on the button, we don't fold Queen Jack offsuit. Okay. If I was under the gun or even middle position, probably I'm folding it all day. But yeah, no, I don't think from the button I'm I'm folding that. But I, I'm telling you, I'm gonna have a inbox full of of emails. <laughs> you count them all. We'll, we'll, we'll address that. Next week we but yeah, no, I don't think I don't think Tyler played it super bad. I don't think that I don't think there were any major mistakes. Some sizing issues in there, maybe. But again, if we if we bet less, maybe like to your point. Maybe the small blind starts pushing back at us a little bit to try and get some more in there. But if we're pushing the action as hard as we were, then, you know, he doesn't have to. He's going to sit back and let us do the work. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, I think it's just a matter of of cleaning up some sizing issues, and that's it. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I mean, I think yeah. you're spot on. All right. Well, uh, hopefully, you don't say, but hopefully that 65K, you were able to run it up a little bit and uh, be back in it a few hands later. That's that's the goal, at least. Yeah. Live, live, live and learn. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Patrick, I appreciate you breaking this one down with me. And uh, if anybody has a hand of the week that they would like Patrick and I to go over, send it to podcast at com. Joe, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Absolutely. I'll talk to you next week. The question is, how you running? All right. This week we've got kind of a different where are they now. We've been doing the where are they nows with professional poker players. This week we've got... David Fishman, who played the Poker Stars uh, big game, and he has a big hand that he went through before. But uh, David, how you how you doing? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for uh, having having me on here. Absolutely. So the reason I wanted to bring you on is because this hand. Every time you pull up YouTube, it seems like it's it's there. And we were just talking about it's been 13 years ago now, right? Yes. Yeah, summer of 2010, when we filled, when we uh, when we played the game, when we filmed the show. Uh, yeah. I think it aired in December of that year. Yeah. For those of you guys that don't know, Poker Stars had a show. It was called The Big Game, and they would bring an amateur on, and they would play against poker pros, and the one that won the most money at the end of the season got uh, what was it called a platinum pass or a it's called the NAPT Passport for the North American Poker Tour. You got entry into four tournaments across North America uh, if you were the highest earning amateur at the end of, I think, 10 episodes. And you were the leader right up until the last day, right? The last one uh, squeaked it squeaked it out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, the, the hand that I was referring to that keeps coming up is this hand against Phil Helmuth. And I want to go through it, and I want to see how much one that you remember during the hand, and you know, as far as your thought process and things like that was, and then just kind of talk about how things went afterward. Did you stay in touch with anybody and things like that? So let's go through the hand first. Sure. You start with king queen of suited, right? Correct. King queen clubs. Yep. 
And and I think Phil ended up having Ace Five. Uh, yeah, Helmuth has Ace Five. I mean, pretty pretty simple call there, right? But uh, then on the flop, what 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 were you thinking on the flop? What happened here? Do you remember any of that? So the flop came down. Uh, what was it? I'm, I'm looking at the video myself to remind me because, like you said, 13 years ago, <laughs> I, I have definitely some distinct memories, but a lot of them have come just from kind of rewatching the video myself over the, over the years. Um, but the flop, yeah, the flop came ace jack two uh, with two clubs. So now I have um, the ace king queen jack. So I'm four to the straight uh, gut shot. I need the ten, and I'm also four to the flush. Uh, right. So, so going in. <laughs> I think. Uh, let's see if uh, David Williams was also in the hand to start. So uh, David and Helmuth checked. Uh, and then so I bet out with the, you know, the semi bluff uh, with the flush draw, the straight draw. Uh, David folded and then Phil re-raised over me. And that was a job. not much. I think it was a minimum raise. And then uh, I just qu quickly called that one. Did you did you put him on a big hand at this point or no? Um, I figured he probably had the pair. You know, the aces were likely. Um, but I was just kind of just knowing that, that my hand was either going to hit or not. You know, it doesn't right, really right. matter what he had at that point. Um, it, you know, it all came down to whether or not I was going to, you know, catch my hand. Um, and I think the turn then came the five. So he ended up getting two pair on the turn and he let out immediately with a big bet um, on that. And that was the first time I think I, I, I tanked for a little bit on that one. Um, and... I do remember that I was I was kind of running the numbers in my head at that point, and the size of the bet I wasn't sure if I was going to call. I mean, I still had a lot of outs to go, but I think mm -hmm. ultimately what what made up my mind to make the call there was the thought of if I hit the club, cool, I'm going to win the pot, and it's probably not going to go any further. But if I somehow catch the straight, I don't think Phil would put me on that, and maybe I can get a lot more money out of him. Yeah. And I had already been up at that point. I think we were about 90 to 100 hands in. The way the game was run, it was it was 150 set hands that we had to play over the session. Oh, okay. So it was going to be 150 total hands no matter what. And we were right around the two-third mark, and I was up. I was actually up around 30000 I think, something like that at that point, or, or somewhere around there. I don't remember that, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. So. I figured when he let out 15,000, I just looked back at the video and saw that. So at that point, I figure my final decision was if I call this and I don't catch, you know, I'm still right around my starting stack a little below and I still have 50 more hands to make something happen here. This once in a lifetime opportunity, you know, as an amateur playing in the situation. Uh, and if I do catch something, you know, big could happen. So, so that's why I ended up calling um, after the turn. Right. And then the river comes out the best card that it could possibly be Absolutely. right uh, <laughs> so when when the 10 comes out helmuth actually leads out it looks like yeah 23-6 yeah and <laughs> then the acting starts right <laughs> 23,600 to a 45,000 dollar pot this is pretty dirty fishman's reverse pedaling the nuts Clearly, he's going to raise. The only question is how much, and can he get Phil to call? I'm not going to let you do this to me again, Phil. I can't let you do this to me again. Leonardo DiCaprio could not be selling this any better. How much you got behind? So, this, this hand for a long time, you know, it stood in a vacuum when it was first came up on YouTube. I remember when it first came out. You know, and, and the people were watching it who didn't watch the actual show. Was there an answer to that, that hand was standing in a vacuum, and I got – I read the comments. I did back then. Of course you have to. Right. And um, there were people who, like, who loved my play. There were so many people who, like, he totally overacted that. I cannot believe Phil Helmuth called this. Um, and in a vacuum, definitely. I, I kind of way, way hammed that up way too much. But the hand was actually only two or three hands after another hand that I had played directly against Phil. We were heads up in another hand just about two or three hands before that, which didn't get as much uh, YouTube uh, play at the time, where it was the same thing, where he let out big after the turn, and I had a top pair. Turned out he had uh, trips, which I, he had me crushed. 
But I did a whole talking spiel at that point as well about how I feel like he's pushing me around and trying to bully me and I want to just push all in over him. And I ultimately laid that down. Right. So that was kind of what spurred the, I'm not going to let you do this to me again, Phil, because it was just like two or three hands after he had, I just made it seem like he had been bullying me around. <laughs> uh, so I think that, that I allowed that to kind of play in, but in, in a vacuum, it may not, without the context, it may not show that that's what I was kind of building off of. I was building off of that hand that happened just a couple of hands. Are, are, is there ever a thought there where you're like, do I need to raise all in? Do I, or should I just min raise or? No, um, I think in my mind at that point, I was so just trying to control the emotions <laughs> yeah. and not, I was trying to play into the, 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 you know, the, the story I had already built up, you know, with, right, with, from right. that previous hand. So at that point, bet sizing was not in my mind. I wasn't thinking about it. All. I knew I was going to go all in. It was just a matter of, of, of telling, trying to tell the story the way I thought it needed to be told before I made yeah. that push. Yeah. Um, mainly because, like I said, the three hand before I even said, I, I'm going to shove on you, Phil. I just want to push in, all, you know, and then I didn't. <laughs> so I, it was going to be that or nothing, obviously. It was going to be that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, without watching the video, I have zero actual memory of what happened after I pushed all in. I really? really <laughs> I got a blacked out at that point. You got king, queen of clubs? I mean, I guess so. And then he calls, he actually calls your hand. He did. Yeah. It was outstanding. And that's when I think my, my, my hand started shaking, right? If yeah. you watch the video. Yeah. He called my hand, my, my hand shook for a second, and I physically, I, actually, I do remember stopping it and then thinking no wait i shouldn't stop there, it and so i started it, yeah. it again intentionally not knowing what was the right one to do but <laughs> <laughs> that's great so you intentionally you stopped it and then made yourself do it again yeah oh I wow remember that yeah i figured if i stopped it there it would give something away and i figured i just i need to see i started shaking i just need to go with it and i think that was my mindset at the time. and then he goes <laughs> If a club comes, I don't lose one nickel in the sand. What a pot for fish. <laughs> this is the, this is the best part. Really. When Nine, Bill Helmuth goes on his rant, right? But then when he comes back to the table and Bill Perkins says, you have trunk loads of money. That's my favorite part of this video. It's endless trunks of money. He's a yeah. school teacher, for God's sakes, man. I will never forget that line when he said <laughs> Bill, Bill was a, a not really nice guy, too. He was not a pro. So there was another technically amateur at the table. Uh, but uh, True. But, but he plays with the pros on a regular basis. Uh, yeah, that's Pretty true. active player. Yeah, That's true. You know what? I would have called him quicker, except he, he talked so much that I thought he was super strong. But I know he can't move in with Ace-10. That was a great read, by the way. You had him. Yeah, You're a real classy guy, buddy. You are. Who? Him? You. Why? What did I do? Why would you say that? I mean, why would you? Why would you? I mean, what are you trying to do? You, the guy hits a miracle 10 on me, and what, you want to just step He's on me? He's a school me? teacher, and you and him have endless trunks of money. Endless trunks of money. He's a school teacher. For God's sakes, man. Screaming will do you a lot of good. Yeah. But then later on, and, and I didn't put the video, this video up here, but later on, you said at one point, if I get aces, I'll probably just fold them. Yeah. Because, uh, and, and then you got aces, yeah. and you actually folded them. And yeah. it turned out that it would have worked <laughs> out in your favor because I don't remember what the, the hand worked out to be. No, actually, Phil Locke uh, was at the table as well, and Phil Locke flopped quad sixes. That's what it was, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so you would have lost a lot of money on that, or a lot of chips on that hand for sure. You know, the one thing, again, I, you, know, you watch those, I rewatch the videos, I reread comments years later, and people are talking about, well, obviously, if he just shoved pre-flop with the aces, no way Phil would have called with the pocket sixes. Uh, but, there was, but the format of the game was actually really interesting. It was a pot limit pre-flop. Uh, because oh. of the amateur, what we they called all the amateur players loose cannons, and right. because of the nature of their playing without risk, without you know playing with someone else's money, so who knows what they're capable of doing? So they set up this pot limit pre-flop just so the loose cannon can't just push all in every hand and be you know that crazy. Um, <laughs> so there was no way I was going to get Phil off that hand at that point, most likely because of the pot limit uh, right. pre-flop. That's interesting. You know, that's not something that is ever talked about that it's pot limit 
pre-flop. And with that dynamic, then you're right. There's nothing There's nothing that's getting them off that end, I'm sure. Right. Most likely not at that stage of the game. Yeah. So fast forward, the, the end of the show, did you talk to Phil? Did you talk to Bill Perkins or anybody after the show? And yeah, Well, actually, Phil, um, because after my, the, that big hand uh, with Phil Helmuth, it, it really crippled his stack. Uh, it was a cash game, but after he lost uh, two hands later, he lost the rest of his chips. He did not buy back in. And at that stage, he came over and gave me a big hug. He, he was really, really gracious to me. Um, cool. he, he congratulated me on my play. Uh, really, he, he was great. Uh, he was really nice to me. And then that was the last. Then he took off. He was done with um, with the show at that point. So I didn't see him when everything was said and done. We just got right back to playing after he walked out. I think it was a uh, Jason Mercier came in from the green room and replaced him at the table. So, so yeah, but he, but he was. Phil was really, really gracious to me in, in those few minutes after he left the show. After the whole thing was finished, yeah, everybody congratulated me for a couple of minutes and then kind of went their own way. I had to stay behind because the producers needed to talk with me about a few things. Um, Bill Perkins was a, was, a, was a really nice guy. He talked to me probably. I probably talked to him more than anybody else while there. Um, we did keep in touch for a little bit, about a year or so after the show, but then we kind of. Uh, disconnected after that but um and then well and you you actually came back right because uh you made it like we said you made it to the last episode right and so it was either going to be you or the other loose cannon and i'm trying to remember the other gentleman's name that ended up winning but he was i remember he was a bus bus driver that's right bobby the bus bobby the bus ferdinand (laughs) Yeah, and I don't know how, so yeah, he ended up winning the the passport. I don't know how he did with it. I hope he did well with it. But yeah, he yeah. ended up catching an insane hand with about and his session, the 150 hand session. He was down. He was in, he was down almost his entire session. And they had me on the show, ready for either me or him to be crowned as champion. And um, I think with the with like about 15 hands left, he doubled up with a straight flush. That got him into a position where he could potentially catch me with a one more double up. And then with five, literally five hands left in his session, he got aces over kings. I think it was Peter Jetton was at the table, had kings, and he and, and Bobby had aces, and he, he got Jetton to call them all in, and he doubled up with five hands to go to pass me for the uh, for the big grand prize. Wow. Well, so then it's all over. You come back to normal life, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, pretty much. Um, and you said you're not playing much poker now, but did you play much after that? After that? No, I, I never really. I mean, I was it was I was a player. I enjoyed playing poker my whole life, but I was never considered myself a gambler. Right. So um, I played small stakes. I played for fun. I played online when it was allowed out in Arizona, and that's kind of how I qualified for the show. Was actually through online tournaments and whatnot. But yeah, when I came back at that point, it wasn't long after that they shut down the online forum. And there's still a lot of uh, casinos in the Phoenix area. But um, I would go every once in a while, but it wasn't a common occurrence before or after really for me. So you were teaching at the time you were at Arizona State, right? Teaching. And you left for a while, but now you're back at Arizona State, correct? Yeah. So that was the big change that actually happened after the show ended. Um, was at that point I had been working at Arizona State uh, as an instructor for seven years, and um, there were there were some high, you know, financial issues, hiring issues, and I wasn't getting a promotion that I felt I, I I had earned at that point. And my father, who runs a business back in New York, ran a business back in New York, had been asking me for many years to um, come join him in the family business. So. With the winnings from the show and everything that kind of changed, I decided maybe it's time for a change. So I did. I actually did leave teaching to go to New York and get into the family business for four years with my dad, which was just a really cool experience. And having this uh, this money helped help me get a, a home in, in New York and, and, and make that transition. And I found out that after four years, I really, really love my father, but I really, really hate working with him. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, teaching had always called to me, and I missed it. And uh, my wife wasn't loving it in New York, and she missed her job and teaching. She's also an elementary school teacher. And uh, in 2015, she got offered her old job back in, in Arizona. And uh, interesting enough, so it wasn't long ago, so I reached out to ASU, and I said, you guys take me back? And they said, and as long as I get that promotion, and they said yes. 
and they brought yes. me back at a higher position, which is what I've been wanting all along anyway. So it worked out ultimately in the long run. So now I've been at ASU back at ASU for eight years. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad all of that worked out the way it was supposed to, right? And yeah. then, and you get to enjoy poker as entertainment. I think so many people would would take that and be like, well, I'm the greatest. The, the WSOP is not that far for me, and I always feel like it will happen at some point. So, it, I, you know, I'll, I'll take a drive up to Vegas one summer. Maybe, you know, the kids are, my kids are now, so when I was on that show, my kids were two. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> my kids are in high school now. In a few years, uh, they'll be out of the house, and I can see myself uh, making my way up to Vegas one summer just to try the World Series. I- I think that would be the the story of the summer. Oh yeah! How great would it be if you got to the World Series of Poker and were at the table with Bill Helmuth? (laughs) That would be great. That 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 would be the story. I would love it. I would love it. Well, I really appreciate you coming on here and and talking going through this with me. You know, like I said, we've been doing this this Where Are They Now series uh, for a few weeks now and uh it only seemed right to do this one so I'm, I'm super glad that you were willing to jump on here and i think it was fun i appreciate it joe thanks yeah it's, yeah. Uh, it's fun to talk about it. i think i mean i actually re-watch the video regularly because I, one of the classes i teach at asu is a probability and statistics class so i actually use that hand to you know talk about pot odds or you know uh, expected value and things like that in my class so it's fun How many, when you do that, how many people had already seen the video? I've been recognized on campus over the years. Uh, Students seem to always know me. They see the video here and there. Uh, Lately, I think it's been reposted so that it's been more common. Like you said, it's coming up on YouTube a lot more often now. So students seem to have uh, uh, seen it before, but there's always a a large contingent who haven't. And when they see that video, they're like, that's not you. (laughs) That's crazy. And then they tell their friends, and then the next semester, more students. Some will know me, some won't. So a lot of students, I think, take my class just because I was in that video. You know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I do get recognized still on campus quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, that's great, uh, and that's fun. I mean, it's still fun, even if not. I mean, obviously, it's not what you're looking for, but it's still fun. <laughs> oh, it's a, yeah. <laughs> well, I. Thank you so much for joining me and uh, stay in touch. If you make that, if you make that trip down to uh, Vegas and play in the, the series, let us know. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Joe. Have a great one. You too. Let's take a time out to talk strategy in the coach's corner. Mark Goodbeats Bremmett has been a poker coach for over 15 years. He's been a strategy columnist for Annie Up for years as well. Been a player for a number of years before that. And now he joins me each week to talk a little strategy. Mark, how you been? Doing good, Joe. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So uh, you look like you're on vacation with this outfit here. Well, yeah, I got my Tommy Bahama shirt. It's pretty old. I won't tell you how old it is. uh, (laughs) It's kind of funny because one time I went out to dinner and this other guy was wearing the exact same shirt. No. He was really really freaked out. A good friend of mine. Like, I would never even notice. Right. (laughs) Anyway, um, yeah. So last week we talked pocket jacks. So that just leaves us premium hands, right? Yeah, we've done small pairs, medium pairs. Pocket jacks, which deserve their own category. And now we're talking premiums. I like it. So we get dealt pocket aces, pocket kings, pocket queens. I'll just start by saying uh, we want to raise these premium hands to narrow the field. Right. And I'll add one more bullet point, which I don't have in front of me. I came unprepared today. (laughs) But the other bullet point would be these big pairs seem to win small to medium-sized hands and lose the monsters because folks don't want to lay them down. And I've had some great students who are great players, and that's the leak that they're constantly talking about is knowing when to get away from from our big pairs. I think something happens in our brain. 
or something with our serotonin, like, you know, who, I, you know, I'm not a neurologist, but ding, 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 <laughs> you know, we're already excited in the hand as it played out, because we, we, we peek at the king, and then we squeeze that second king, and it's like, here we go. Alright, so, we're not even three minutes into the conversation, you're already talking about folding these hands, what? <laughs> oh, ouch, ouch, yeah, you know, you're talking to a guy who's three bet with a 5-8 offsuit on the button who, after the flop or the turn, can relinquish his pocket kings or aces pretty easily compared to most. This keeps coming up. Sometimes a penny saved is a penny earned. That's fair. <laughs> All right, so what are we talking about when, when we'll, we'll just use this same... I keep coming back to the same scenario. We'll just use this again. Middle position, one limper. Uh, we're dealt ace ace. How where what are we doing? You know, we're going to raise three times the big blind, and you always mention you like to raise the same amount each time, and I think that's fair. And sometimes, and I wouldn't be surprised if you add a little bit if there's people in before you. Right. So instead of making it thirty, you might make it. 40, or depending on the tournament or cash, instead of making it 9, you might make it 12. Right. Uh, if it was 1, 3, something like that, based on the amount of limpers in front of you. But we're definitely raising to narrow the field. And before you ask that question, I want to say every game, Friday night to Tuesday afternoon, has its sweet spot. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So at midnight on Friday, you know, when the joint is jumping, you might raise it to 20 to narrow it down to two people. That might not even work. It might You might get a family pot. You just don't know. But you should have a gauge on what the sweet spot is to narrow it down to playing against one player, maybe two, and not be upset if everybody folds. It's going to happen, too. Right. Um, but if you... If in a Friday night game, if you make it seven dollars and you're playing your aces against eight, seven, eight callers, six, five, six, seven callers, you know, deal me in. That's a great game to be in. <laughs> but that's the kind of game where you make the hurricane hands, your connectors, you know, uh, make these incredible pots and like aces go down in flames. So you're playing the Tuesday afternoon game, you raise it to nine dollars and you get one caller. That's exactly where you want to be. Sure. So, like to your point, you I can play at eleven a.m. and have a whole different crowd, and uh, this the old man coffee, so to speak, and that are that are going to be way more likely to fold to a bigger raise, and then uh, you know, like you said, eleven o'clock that night, it might be a whole different, a whole different ball game. Hats off to Old Man Coffee, who is um, an Alex Fitzgerald. He's assassinato, one of the greatest assassinato, I guess, one of the great coaches out there. But I'm going to go with Uncle Broomcorn, who anteed himself to death, especially in light of that is Doyle Brunson's. Um, that's Doyle Brunson's guy, and I still use Uncle Broomcorn um, <laughs> to, because uh, you know I steal from Doyle whenever I can, and he appreciates it. <laughs> so yeah, you got Uncle Broomcorn on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, so but like you like I said, you know, when you get down to uh, eleven o'clock at night, it's going to play a whole different ball game than eleven o'clock in the morning, and so you may have to raise a different amount. So when I say I like to raise the same, whether it's pocket seven or pocket jacks or you know, whatever I'm raising, it's in that game, not necessarily at 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. It's 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 like you said, that sweet spot that we're looking for. And and the game changes hour in and hour out. Sure. You just put a little adrenaline in that game, which we call tilt in poker. Yeah. And you all of a sudden one seat leaves and goes home on time like they're supposed to, and you know, and Happy <laughs> Jack sits down and he's like. 
beer on the house and, and shots for everybody. And you know what? This game's going, this game's taking off. And the, the point is that, um, yeah, every situation matters. And even the same game can change hour in and hour out. Absolutely. One guy leaves, another guy takes his place and goes the other way. All of a sudden, the game's in the mud. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. So how we play each of these pairs that we've been talking about, each of these is going to change to some degree. But Don't get mad at me, Joe. Don't get mad at me. First of all, I interrupted you, but I want to ask you, because I said it earlier, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm putting you on the spot. Why do we raise? To eliminate, to narrow the field. Yeah. Give that man a start. <laughs> you know? So, so, so yeah, buy that man a beer. So here's the thing. We are raising, folks, not to make the pot bigger. Okay. Okay? Anti-up listeners. We're not raising to make the pot bigger. We are raising to narrow the field. Right. So let's let's take that thought and take it back to last week and say, okay, why didn't I want to ra- narrow the field with pocket jacks? Because we're set mining and we are vulnerable. And what we want to do is play a, play a style of play where we have uncontested pots post-flop and average pot size is bigger for, for player A than player B because he's playing strategically superior. So the hands that get us in trouble, like jacks, we, we, can, we misplay them because we overvalue them. Being able to lay down aces and kings is hard, and that's a leak. No, I wouldn't even call it a leak. It's just for expert players, for excellent players, they're hard hands to get away from. And the more we play, the deeper our stacks, the bigger the game, the more likely it is that we've learned that art. So poker, half art, half science. So we've raised our aces appropriately for the game that you're in to $12, and the big blindfolds and the guy that limp calls and we put him on a hand. We think he's got a medium pair. We've played with him before. Okay. Okay. We think that he's got like five, six, or seven, something like that. In fact, we, we're sure he does. So he's taking his sevens against our aces. And the flop comes X, Y, Z. And we want to not like slow play and sucker him in. You know, he checks to us. And then we bet three quarters, full, whatever. GTO might mean a li- might lean a little less. I, I love uncontested pots. I'm willing to take down anything I can. And all of a sudden, this guy check raises us all in. Wow. Wow. Did he really hit his set? Well, we put him on a medium pair, and there's a five, six, and a jack out there. Did he hit that? That's a t- I'm not saying, I'm not advocating to lay down the aces. This is a player-dependent decision now. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you call automatically every time? Absolutely not. No, you you can't you can't call autom- That's a losing proposition in poker to say I will call every time. That's that's never going to work out for you. But I want to go back to pre-flop because post-flop. In all honesty, post-flop, you're gonna you're gonna continue. Because maybe you disagree with me here, but I would say one of the worst things you can do is slow play in your premium pairs, right? Agree or disagree? Oh, agree. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, or though, or limp re-raise is something we like to do with aces once in a while. And that might be more likely in a tournament. Sure. Different stages. We're already in the money. I, I don't know. I, I can invent a lot of different situations. But I do like a balanced game, and we don't want to play the same way every time. Sure. In different situations, table texture. We talked about it earlier last week, Friday night, Tuesday morning, you know, that kind of thing. So limp re-raise could be a strategy, and then it doesn't work. We get seven players in, and the flop comes six, seven, eight. We can just throw those aces away, right? Yeah. We're in a multi-table, because we're, we're behind. Right. Even if we're ahead, we're behind. <laughs> Right, there's so much there that can that can hurt you. But 
But when we're talking about pre-flop, then you're definitely going to be coming in for a raise as opposed to every other pair that we've we've talked about, right? Yes, so, I'm, coming in with a raise, I'm coming in with a raise 80 to 90% of the time, maybe even closer to 100. Then the flop comes, whatever. Is it an automatic C-bet as well? Well, let's start if we're heads up and I hit my set of aces. Um, I, I failed a quiz the other day because I said to C-bet, because you got to build that pot, and it said it's so strong that it wanted me to check back. I believe these GTO quizzes and stuff, you know, I learn, I'm still learning, but I play my sets fast in general. Yeah. But when you're heads up, there might be different ways to go, but you know what? I I definitely see that 85%, does that make sense? That's a fair number. I think that's a fair but number. There are flops, there are flops, six, seven, eight, Things like that, you know, yeah. six, seven, eight, two spades, your head's up to somebody that, boy, you're, uh, you know, you might want to make a pulse C bet to find out if you need to get off, get off the hand. Sure. But, you know, I mean, the guy calls you and you say, okay, he's either got a nine or he's got even a bigger hand or, or whatnot. And then he checks again on the turn. Hey, you might be able to check back. Uh, I don't like, you know, depending on what comes on the turn, I don't like that flop. Right. Right. That makes sense. For the most part, once you get past pre-flop, then the hand's going to kind of play itself because somebody, even if I make a C-bet and I get called, then you have to kind of be leery of what are they playing? Where are they at? So at what point... Are we just really player dependent at that point, or is it just, uh, are, are we able to say, you know, I'm trying to go after that stack? But you know, player dependent is half is half of it, and reading the player is is part of player dependent. And after the C bet that he's called, a deuce comes on the turn, uh, and um, it doesn't affect the hand at all, and. Um, you have a hunch for that player that you can get his money in, that he hit that and he's got a draw. Now it's time to make him pay. You know, God bless him if we're overcharging him and he wants to get there because that's how we make our money. And, you know, we want to break these guys. We want to break them. Right. So, you know, the turn comes and he's already called the flop and we think we're, you know, I hear that value word way too much. Did I leave money on the table, coach? Come on, man, just take these uncontested pots. So the guy wraps his knuckle again. The pot is sort of, the, the flop is sort of connected. Guy got to go with my gut. He's got a pair and a draw, you know? And now I'm going to make that sort of, I'm not going to make a half pot bet there. Let's imagine I bet three quarters on the flop or a half, you know, GTO says, you know, down a little. But, but the point is that, you know, I'm likely to feel like he's got a good draw. And I'm going to put him to the test. Sure. And, you know, a lot of players think, oh, he's got ace-king, he's overplaying, and we've got aces. And then they, they, they're, pay, they're paying way too much to get there. And they, got, they do have a piece of the flop, and they do have a draw. But I want to price them out. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Well, Just give me that money. Yeah. <laughs> Deal them out. Let's get to the next game. Well, I was I was just getting ready to ask you for closing thoughts, but I think that's the that's the perfect closing thought right there. Just give me the money. <laughs> Ship the sherbet. Yeah. <laughs> the Herbert. Exactly. All right, that's we'll just end it right there. Premium pairs, like you said, Joe. Premium pairs play themselves. Yeah. And somebody who's played as much poker as you have, um, there, there's not there's not that much finesse about it. Half science, half art. You've got to take the player into consideration. You've got to take the stack size into consideration. Obviously, the amount of players that are seeing the flop compared to actual flop texture is going to really write the book. Absolutely. All right, Mark. I appreciate you joining me again this week, uh, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Awesome. Thank right. you very much, Jim. Absolutely. Take care. 
it's time for Joe's One Outer. NEF ambassador and veteran home game host Brian Bly had an article in the June issue of NEF magazine about expanding to other games other than strictly hold'em in your home games. If you haven't already, you should check it out. And I want to talk about mixed games as well. As you all know, the WSOP is running right now. There are monster fields competing against one another and bracelets being handed out every day. But if you look at the fields closer, there are a lot more players to battle through in the No Limit Hold'em events than, say, event number nine the $1,500 seven-card stud, which had 360 entrants, or the $1,500 dealer's choice six-handed with 456 entries. There is a lot of value in learning the other poker games. Beyond that, learning games like Badoogie, Deuce to Seven, Triple Draw, or Raz keeps the game fresh and exciting. Even though each game can require a little bit of a different approach, As you get better at each of them, you'll start to see it improve your overall understanding of poker. You'll get to a point where you're more adaptable and flexible. You begin to adjust your strategy more easily based on the players. You start to see the game from different perspectives. Sure, learning some different games will require a little effort and study. But take Brian's advice. Start to incorporate some different variants into your home game. Practice, learn, and just like you did with Hold'em, you'll get better and better, and you'll see how much fun it can be to switch things up from time to time. That's today's One Outer, and that's today's show. I'll see you next week, A-Team, and until then, I'll see you at the tables. The Any Up Podcast is a production of AnyUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at anyupmagazine.com or call the show at 540-339-7741. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to editor at anyupmagazine.com.